Black children are removed from their families in the U.S. at much greater rates than any other ethnicity. And the number of child abuse investigations in America is very high. Our next guest says many of these abuse investigations are unjustified. We welcome University of Rochester health policy historian and physician Michal Raz, author of Abusive Policies, How the American Child Welfare System Lost Its Way. Doctor, let's get right to it. Why do you say many child abuse investigations are unjustified? Well, when we think about child abuse, we often think about the worst cases of physical abuse, of sexual abuse, and these things are really horrifying and, of course, need to be prevented. But that's a small minority of all the cases that are investigated and the cases that lead to intervention. In fact, neglect is the number one concern when someone calls Child Protective Services, and drug use in parents is the number one reason for children to be removed from their homes. And if we think about drug use, we think about it as a relapsing chronic disease that people struggle with and not a form of abuse. About a quarter of all removals are returned to their homes within 30 days, which makes you think, why did this removal have to happen in any case? And most of the removals don't deal with physical or sexual abuse. They deal with what's you know often termed as neglect or inadequate parenting situations that with some support, we could keep children in their homes and support their parents rather than remove them from their families and communities. You say that race, ethnicity is a big factor here. What about income levels? Is poverty a factor here too? Absolutely. Income levels is one of the most important factors here, both in terms of who will get investigated and who will be removed from their homes. Dr. Raz, what should the government be doing if not these investigations? How could they better serve the people? We have a lot of evidence that shows that more reporting doesn't keep families safer. So we have different states that have different reporting standards. And for instance, in some states, everybody has to report suspicions of child abuse, what's called universal mandatory reporting. And what we found is requiring more people to file more reports leads not surprisingly, to more reports, but it doesn't lead to better outcomes for kids. What we do need is to provide more services for families. In fact, a majority of reports and investigations don't end up with the provision of new services to families. So you think you're helping, and all you're doing is creating a report and creating an investigation. And families are often worse off rather than better off at the end. Dr. Raz, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm just wondering if you could share perhaps a story of how this child welfare situation goes wrong. One of them that was in the news recently are moms who are subject to domestic violence. Their partner is hitting them and they call for help. They call the police and suddenly they're in trouble for neglect or for not protecting their kids adequately when all they're doing is trying to struggle for protection for themselves and their children. And then they see themselves, you know, out of their homes and losing their custody of their kids. This happens a lot in which a mother is in fact a victim and she's being blamed for neglecting or abusing her kid. I think there's also a lot of unrealistic expectations that CPS will swoop in and make everything better. And I see that a lot from my fellow physicians. You know, you see a kid with bad teeth. You don't think about, you know, how can we help this kid get dental care? What kind of insurance do they have? Where would they be able to access these services? You say, oh, bad teeth. Oh, my goodness, this kid must be neglected. I'm going to put a CPS report for, you know, neglect. And people do this with good intentions. They hope that the result will be the kid gets better teeth. But that's not what happens. What happens is there's a coercive investigation. They check what the mommy has at home in her fridge, what kind of home she has, what kind of support systems they have. 
and this is very intrusive, coercive, and doesn't result in what you know what you want, which is a kid gets the dental care they need. So we need to have better ways in which children can get the services they need without having to go through a report to Child Protective Services. For those who are listening who wish they could do something to help this situation, is there something that the average listener can do? I think there's two different ways to think about this. And the first is, how do we help families who are struggling in our communities? We can all support people who are less privileged, find ways to offer assistance. And if you see somebody struggling, the response should be to offer assistance rather than calling the authorities. And within your communities, we can advocate for services and support systems, for politicians and policies that think about the support services that families need to thrive. University of Rochester health policy historian and physician Michal Raz. Doctor, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for your questions. And that's it for this week's show. Special thanks to this week's InfoTrack contributor, Gina Tedesco. Our internet services are provided by Pair Networks. Our executive producer is Randy Meyer, and I'm Chris Whitting. We hope you'll join us right here next week for another edition of InfoTrack.